17th chapter, please, tonight in the Word of the Lord. John chapter 17. <clears throat> please pray for me as I seek to declare the Word of the Lord tonight to you. <clears throat> Greatest prayer that was ever prayed from the lips of man or God is about to be preached to you tonight. It is the only prayer of any length in the New Testament. The only prayer of any length that we have of Jesus praying. It is his high priestly prayer. I ask you to pray for me as I seek to go through it. It is phenomenal. Amen. Greatest prayer ever prayed by man or God. Chapter 17, verse 1, the Bible says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son that thy Son also may glorify thee. That is all the reading. I'll read to you, but I will, by God's grace, teach you the old chapter. Father, we ask you right now that your blessing be upon the reading of your holy word. Lord, we stand here tonight on sacred ground. We thank you, Lord, for this sacred prayer, sacred scripture. The church, Lord, that you have died for. We thank you, Lord, for your high priestly prayer. I ask God that you would inspire me, anoint me to declare this truth tonight, bring revelation and understanding to myself and to those that hear it. We seek to give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise tonight for what will be heard, what will be declared from this passage. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Jesus is on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. He is not yet there. The 18th chapter in verse 1 tells you that at that point, the 18th chapter, he will cross the Kidron Valley, make his way over into the Garden of Gethsemane. So the 17th chapter is as he is making his way with the disciples toward the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he is walking with them, all of a sudden, he breaks into prayer. The Bible says in verse 1, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. He lifted his eyes to heaven out of respect. He lifted his eyes to heaven out of reflection. He lifted his eyes to heaven in rest. A lot of times we bow our heads before God because we are humbling ourselves before the Lord. But when you lift your head to heaven and you look to heaven, it is because you are reflecting on God. You are resting in God and you are respecting Him. So Jesus as a man is lifting up His eyes to heaven out of reflection, respect, and rest to the Father. He begins to pray as a man. 
His plan and His humanity. This is not one God praying to another God. This is Jesus in His humanity praying to not Himself, but He's praying to the deity that is in Him. But because that deity that is in Him is omnipresent, He's omniscient, and He's omnipotent, He never gave up any of His attributes God, although he was inside of the body of Jesus Christ, so that when Jesus is praying, he is praying as a man to the deity that is in him, but that deity that is in him is everywhere present. That is why he is lifting his eyes to heaven. Do you understand that? He's not praying to himself. He's not one God praying to another God, if that were the case. You would have a subordinate God. Subordinate means less rank. Subordinate means less position. So as the Trinitarians teach that you have three separate persons in the Godhead, uh, this passage will cause them great problems because if you have Jesus praying and if He is God, if it's God the Son, you with me? The Sonship is His humanity. Uh, nowhere in the scripture is the humanity of Jesus called God the Son. It's called the Son of God. Alright, are you all with me so far? Trinitarian doctrine teaches that there are three separate persons in the Godhead co-equal, co-eternal. Understand? That is false doctrine. If their doctrine was correct, then you would have subordination of Jesus here, but they say he's co-equal and co-eternal. You can't have it both ways. Alright? There is a subordination here. That means there is a um, a lesser praying to the greater, but it's not one God, one lesser God praying to a greater God. It's the lesser is the humanity. The subordinate role here is the humanity of Jesus Christ. So he is praying as a man, and as a man he's subordinate. As a man he's less than God. As a man, all right? But he is none less than God in his deity. So the only subordinate role of Jesus Christ is in his humanity. And by the way, God doesn't pray because God doesn't need to pray. He has no needs. So when Jesus is praying, even though he's God, he's not praying as God, he's praying as a man to the deity that was in him, but that deity that was in him is omnipresent. That's why he lifts his eyes to heaven as a man. You understand that tonight? Praise the Lord. I'm glad I know the truth. <laughs> so these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father. So he's speaking as a man. He's praying as a man to the Father. Doesn't mean the Father is separate from him. The Father is in Him. In fact, Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Correct? He's making reference to that invisible spirit. The invisible spirit of God. The man Christ Jesus praying to the invisible spirit of God in the passage. Amen? Just like you. Only one difference. He was God and you're not. And when you pray, you pray as a man or a woman to God. Correct? All flesh will come to Him in prayer. 
all flesh. Thou that hearest, amen, prayer, all flesh is going to come to that one that hears prayer. So when you and I pray, we pray as, as humanity, we're filled with the Spirit of God, that He was God in the flesh, and He's praying in His humanity. So it says, Father, the hour is come. He's on the eve of the crucifixion. It's not going to be very long, and He's going to be crucified on the cross for you're in my sin. So he says the hour is come. In John chapter 2, when he turned the water to wine, he said, my hour is not yet come. And now he says, it's time. Say, it's time. The hour is come. And it's not 60 minutes. The hour here is a long period of time. This hour he's talking about is his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and his glorification. So that hour is much longer than 60 minutes. Okay? It's a long period of time. And um, Jesus is saying, it's time. It's time. He's on God's timetable. Not too late. Not too early. It's time. He's fixing to die and rise again from the dead and ascend up and be glorified. So he says, as he prays with lifted up eyes, the hour is come. Glorify thy son <clears throat> that thy son also may glorify thee. Amen? What is he praying for? He's praying that he will come, and of course we know and He knows that He will come out of the grave. He'll go through death, come up on the other side of death in resurrection, okay? And He will ascend up and He will be glorified. But He's still praying for that glorification to take place. That He'll make it through death, be raised from the dead, and then glorified. He's praying for that. You're with me so far? They say amen. amen. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. The way the son is going to glorify the father is by obedience. You cannot glorify somebody without obeying them. And so the way the son is going to glorify the father is in his obedience He's going to fulfill the mission for which he came into the world, and that was to die for us. Ultimately, listen carefully, his death, his life, his death was not number one to save you. You think, I might think at times that's the number one reason why he came as a man incarnate, God in flesh, coming to this world, the greatest reason why he came, some will say, is to save us. That's the number two reason. The number one reason why Jesus came, the eternal God himself, came down, robed himself in flesh, and walked among men, died on that cross, was raised again on the third day, and ascended and sat on the right hand of God. The reason why he came, number one, was to glorify God. Number two, to save you. That was his main goal in life was to glorify God and everything that he did 
everything that he said, ultimately his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, all of that, the ultimate goal of his life was being obedient to the Father and glorifying the Father by that obedience. Okay, are you with me? As the Son. Now as we go through this chapter, we're going to see some very powerful things. I don't know how much I'll be able to point out to you tonight, but this 17th chapter shows you the power of the position of sonship. And that what Jesus will do and say in this chapter is going to be what you as sons of God will operate in. And it will be an example to you of the power of sonship that you are now in. You are sons of God. And what Jesus did as a son, you are and I am to do that same kind of works. So the 17th chapter is about the power of the position of sonship. And in Jesus you have God in sonship coming to this world ultimately with the purpose to glorify the Father, that invisible Spirit of God that was in Him. You understand what I'm telling you? But not only that, look at verse 10. All mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Because you are sons of God, now Jesus, God, is glorified in you. See? Okay. I don't know how much I'm going to be able to touch on that tonight, but I'll do my best. Now, okay. other than to tell you this tonight, when you study the 17th chapter of John, Understand the power of the position of sonship. That he is an example to you and I as to what we are supposed to do in this world. Say praise the Lord. And ultimately which we should glorify him by our obedience to him. So he is praying, correct? I'm not losing you, am I? These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father... The hour is come, glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. Number one reason why he came into this world as a man is to glorify the Father. Are y'all with me? Now this is heavy, 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 heavy. Okay? He's praying for glorification in the passage. He's praying that he could glorify God in sonship, and then he's praying that the Father would glorify that sonship. You understand that? What is glorification? Manifestation of power. You talk about glory, that's the manifestation of God. So when Jesus is asking the Father to glorify him, that he could glorify the Father, he's asking that the power of God in death, burial, and resurrection would be manifested to the world. Okay? Whoa, this is heavy. That people could understand God in a way that they had never known God before. In the Old Testament, they knew God as a God of wrath, a God of judgment. He was a God of love. He loved His people. He took care of them. But the people did not know God in that way as Father. As a loving, caring God, they're fixing to find out how much God loves you. 
They're fixing to find out how much God loves them, and you're fixing to find out how much God loves you. You understand? Listen carefully. If man had never sinned, you know, God could have kept man from sinning. He could have turned them in robots and refused to let him sin. You know that? He could have. But he didn't. He gave man freedom of choice, a free will. And man chose to sin against God. Listen carefully. He chose to sin against God, but God knew he was going to before he did it. So God, knowing that man would sin against him before man sinned against him, had a plan in place to redeem man before man needed redemption. It wasn't like after the fall of man, God goes to plan B and says, oh, I've been caught by surprise. God doesn't have a plan B. He's only got a plan A. Are y'all with me now? Whoa. Say glorification. And in that plan of God to redeem man, God's plan not only included his death, burial, and resurrection, but in the plan of mind of God, the glorification of the Son, that means he's going to sit on the throne for glory was in the plan and mind of God before there ever was a world. Before the world existed and before man existed and before man fell, God already had that plan A in place which included the glorification of the Son. He already had that plan in place that He would come in the form of a man and if man had not fallen in that garden you would have never known that God is this kind of God. You would have just known God in His character of judgment and holiness and wrath. The lion, okay? Like the angels know Him. But because man fell, God in His plan was going to manifest a side of him that you would have never known about if man had not fallen. And that side of him, that character of him, is love. You would have never known that kind of love if man had not fallen. Now, see, you're getting into some really powerful things here. If you'll just think about what I'm telling you. That God, before He created the world, before He created you, or before He created man, he, put, he created man, put man in the garden. He knew man was going to fall. In fact, he decreed to allow man to fall. I don't have time to get into the decrees of God. But he decreed to allow man to fall. He didn't decree the fall. He decreed to allow man to fall. And then he decreed, I'm going to come in the form of a man. And I'm going to walk among men. And I'm going to die for that man. And whoever believes in that message and is born again, he said, I decree will be saved. So it didn't, what I'm trying to say, it didn't catch him by surprise. And the fact that man fell brings to you a revelation of God that you would have never known. And that is a revelation of his love coming in the form of man and loving you so much 
loving you so much that in the form of a man, he would come and die for you. You would have never known that if man had not fallen. You understand that? God is infinitely wise. So he allowed man to fall. He decreed to allow man to fall. He could have said, I will not let man fall. But in the fall of man, God is going to be glorified because man is going to be able to see a manifestation of the love and the power of God in death, burial, and resurrection that they would have never seen if there wasn't a fall. Now, he didn't make man fall, but he allowed man to fall, but he already had the plan in place. In fact, I will tell you this, not only did he have the plan in place, but it was already done. And only in God can things be done before they're done. Now you hang on to that one. Because in eternity it's already finished. In eternity right now, the new heavens and new earth is already done. In Him, in God. It hasn't happened in time yet, but in God it's already done. In God, the great white throne judgment is already over. So only in God can things be done or finished before they ever begin. I'm just talking to you tonight. So that before he came in the form of a man, incarnated himself in flesh, before he did that, amen, he already had died on the cross. He died on the cross in himself before he ever went to Calvary. Okay, now I'm, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. So when Jesus is praying right here for glorification, he's praying that the Son would be glorified. Amen. That he would glorify the Father, but that he would be glorified. Well, he knew that was in the mind of God before the foundation of the world, before the world ever existed. He knew that was in the mind of God. But he's still praying for that. Because he's fixing to go through it in time. And he's asking God to fulfill in time what he had planned in eternity. Does that make sense? I don't think he was concerned or worried that it wouldn't happen. But he's praying that way so you and I can get a revelation of it. Wow. Okay. Verse 2. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, say power, over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. He gives you power to pray. And he gives you power over flesh to bring people into a salvation experience with God, the power of sonship, the power of the position of sonship. Now, I don't want to get too... I want to bring it to you where you can understand it, okay? I'm, I, I'm not up here just to... You know. But look carefully verse 2. As thou hast given him the power over all flesh, this is in his prayer, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Let's talk about eternal life. How many are thankful tonight that you have eternal life? You're thankful that you have eternal life? 
Not everybody can say that. Only those people who the Father has given Him. Amen? Now remember, He's praying as a man. Have eternal life. People in the world that are unbelievers do not have eternal life. They have everlasting life. So in a sense, everybody has everlasting life. That means if you're a human being, you're going to spend eternity somewhere. You will not end. God's going to, if you're lost, God's going to take your spirit, reunite it with your body, and put you in hell. You will not be annihilated. You will not just burn up. You will spend the rest of eternity in an everlasting condition of perdition. So everybody has everlasting life. That means that is quantity of life. Really, I would say this. If you get cast into hell, you're really not living. You're in death then. I'm just trying to illustrate something to you tonight. That eternal life is not quantity of life. Eternal life in the Bible is quality of life. So that God came into the world not just to give you quantity of life, everlasting life. He came into the world to give you eternity or eternal life, which is quality of life. So that tonight, if you're a born again believer, you're not waiting for eternal life. You have eternal life right now, which means you are living in a quality of life that nobody in the world is living in. Eternal is not talking about quantity. Eternal is talking about quality. Everlasting is talking about quantity. So if you're a born-again believer and you make it to heaven, well, you have eternal life right now. You also have everlasting life right now. You make it to heaven. Amen. You're going to have everlasting eternal life with Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. If you don't make it to heaven, then you will continue forever and ever and ever and ever and ever in a condition of life everlasting. Quantity of life, but really it's death because you're separated from God. But you're physically alive. Makes sense. So when Jesus came into the world, He's praying, as thou hast given Him power over all flesh, thinking about the Son, that He should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given Him. Say amen. Wow. There has to be a subordinate position here. If God is giving Him something and He's receiving something from God, the only way that's possible is if He is subordinate, less than God. And the only way that's possible is because he's a man. And as a man, he's receiving from the eternal spirit. And as a man, he's receiving from God. So he's subordinate. That means lesser rank and position as a man. But he's also God. Does that make sense to you? Okay. Woo, glory to God. Amen. Now, that beautiful? <clears throat> And he came, number one, to glorify the Father, Son. Number two, 
to bring eternal life to you and I, quality of life, as well as quantity of life, everlasting life. Number two reason why he came. He says he has power over all flesh. Amen. Verse 3. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God. He said, I'm going to define, he's praying, going to define what life eternal or eternal life is. Knowing the one true God. In fact, he says, to know the only true God. There's only one God. The only true God. So when you know the, the only true God, which is Jesus, when you know Him, really know Him, you're a born-again believer, then you have eternal life because you know the only true God. Who is it? Jesus. But is He just God? No. He's also Son. He's also a man. That is our profession as a church. It's the profession of the New Testament church that He is not just God. Our profession is that He is Son. He's man. Our profession concerning Jesus Christ is that He is God and man or the God-man. 100% God and 100% man at the same time. The only true God. And when you know the only true God, Jesus Christ, then you have eternal life, quality of life, the God kind of life. Are you thankful tonight for eternal life? <clears throat> this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. To know Jesus as God and as man is our perfection. The only true God, even Jesus Christ, which thou hast sent. The only true God is Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus means Yahweh Savior. The only true God, even or and Jesus Christ, is letting them know what your profession is, is that He is the God-man. He's God come in flesh. He is the Lord. He is yod heh vav -Hey yahweh come in human form. Jesus the Christ. Jesus means Yahweh is become my salvation, or the Lord is become my salvation. So what He's telling here, eternal life is to know God, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ. Say, and Jesus Christ. I'm not going to add the word Lord there because he's already said the only true God. And Jesus Christ. That's to have eternal life. That is your profession. That's my profession. I don't profess that he's the number two person in the Godhead. I don't pro profess that there's, a, there's three separate persons in the Godhead. I profess what the early church professed. That Jesus was God and man at the same time. That they might know the only true God, even Jesus Christ. He is the God-man. Oh, my, 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 my. To know God. Wow. Is to have eternal life. It's not just going to heaven. Eternal life is to know the only true God and Jesus Christ, God and man in one person, Jesus Christ. That's to have 
eternal life. Are you thankful for that tonight? Woo, glory to God. And he had already told them in the 16th chapter, he's not going to be speaking to them in parables anymore or in Proverbs anymore. He's going to show them plainly the Father. So the focus in this chapter, he's now beginning to move. Amen. Even though this is before Calvary, he's beginning to move into a place where he's showing them the Father more plainly. That they might know the only true God. And I'm not pointing to myself. Uh, Jesus, the only true God and Jesus Christ. That when you look at Jesus Christ, you know he's the only, the only, the only, the only true God. Anybody else who professes to be a God of any kind is not a God at all. He is the only true God that there is. So if Jesus is not God, you have no God. Did you hear what I said? Because He's the only true God that there is. How many of y'all believe Jesus is God? He's the only true God there is. He's God who came in flesh. Jesus Christ. Say God in flesh. The God man. Beautiful, isn't it? Hallelujah. I love it. I just thank God. Now he's praying this. And he's praying this out loud, by the way. He's not praying this under his breath. He's lifted up his eyes to heaven. And he's opened his mouth wide. And so the disciples are hearing everything that he's praying as he's walking along with them. Okay? Praise the Lord. Yeah. The only true God is Jesus Christ. There he is, right there. The only true God and Jesus Christ. There he is. Right there. Whoa. See, so they're starting to get more and more revelation themselves as to who Jesus is. He's showing them more plainly the Father. While at the same time operating in the role of humanity as such. Okay, here we go. Praise the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Man. How would you like to walk with him that night? He lifted his eyes to heaven in reflection and respect and rest and starts praying like that. Whew. Man. So now we know what life eternal is. They might know thee, the only true God. Say the only true God. And Jesus Christ, or even Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. One God sent another God. No, it's God in flesh sending him on his mission. In sonship. Okay. What he would do, what God would do in sonship. What God would do in and through a man. He sent that man into the world to fulfill his plan from eternity before there was ever time as we know it. Whoa. And the hour is come. The time is now. The plan that was planned before there was time as you know it, now is here. The God-man, God incarnate, is fixing to go to the cross and die to glorify the Father and die to give you eternal life. And that you might have a revelation 
of God in sonship. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Verse 4, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. This is the first two I haves in John 17. There are a total of ten of them. Ten I haves and seven requests. So the first, watch this. How is he glorifying the Father? By his obedience. I have. Say I have. The first of the I haves. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. <laughs> this is how he's glorifying the Father, is by obeying him, obeying the Spirit of God that's in him. I'm telling you, you cannot glorify God without the I have. Are without obedience. Sons obey their daddy. Okay? So he's showing how he glorified the Father. Are you with me? I have glorified thee on earth. Isn't that beautiful? How? Everything he did. Everything he said. And now ultimate, watch this. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have, the, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. His obedience is so perfect and so complete. He doesn't just start, he finishes it. See, we can all start something, but are we going to finish the work? See, amen, praise the Lord. He said something there that I can never say. I've never finished anything. Don't look at me like that. You, you, you're telling me tonight that anybody, any of you in this place tonight can stand up and say that you have brought any, everything or anything that you have ever done in your life to a total completion. A perfected state. then you haven't done what he said he did. When he said he finished the work which thou gavest, I want to get the words right, me to do, it was absolutely perfected finish. Completion to the uttermost. There was nothing left undone. Nothing incomplete. Everything that he did was total perfection. He finished it. He completed it. You and I have never done that. Never. I'm talking to you slow. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And he hadn't even been to the cross yet. But yet he says, I have finished the work. What? Finished the work? How can he say that? 
Because in God, it's already finished before it ever starts. So he, in his prayer, he sweeps. Now you've heard me say this before, so don't go to sleep on me because I'm saying it again. But in his prayer, as he's walking along those cobblestone roads, he sweeps into eternity, or really not into eternity, he sweeps into future time <laughs> and says, I've finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And he hadn't even been to the cross yet because in eternity it's already done, it's already finished in God before it ever gets started. Are y'all with me? So he is not limited now. In his humanity, he came in time, right? But he's speaking like it's a finished work. He's speaking like it's already done. Correct? And he haven't even hasn't been there yet in time. Well, yeah, he's speaking by faith. He's speaking by faith. I finished the work. It's just as good as done. His going to the cross, his being buried, his, his being raised from the dead, he, him ascended up, sit on the right hand of God in glorification on that throne. It's already as good as done. He speaks this by faith. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Before that I have glorified thee. In the what? In the world. Wow. And part of glorification is his death, burial, and resurrection. His outward. But yet he's, by faith, it's as good as done. See, when he speaks the word, my, my, my. When, when he speaks the word, it is as the event itself. When he speaks the word, it, as, it is as if the action has already happened. When he says it, it is the action. When he says it, it is the event. He calls those things that are not as though they were. Okay? It's amazing. So he, let me put it to you this way, he sweeps into time future and he goes beyond his death, burial, and resurrection and ascension. And he says it's already finished. Because in eternity, it's already done. Hang in there with me just a minute. So, the first of ten I have. So I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. That's just amazing to me. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world existed. Or before the world was. He says, glorify thou me with the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world or before the world ever existed. He said, glorify me with that glory that was before there ever was a world. This is not teaching you a separate person in the Godhead 
that is co-eternal with the Father. It is teaching you first that He is God. Because God will not give His glory to another. So when He says, Glorify thou me with the glory that thou had, that I had with thee before, the foundation of the world, because God doesn't give His glory to somebody else, He is declaring to you and showing you plainly who the Father is. That He is that God of glory. So He's speaking of more than one thing. He's speaking as the form of God. Before He became a man and walked this earth, He there was a time when He was God and He was in the form of God. But in time, He came in the form of a man. So in eternity, He was in the form of God. In time, He was in the form of man. He talks about glorify thou me. Yeah, some of you act like that's no big deal. You don't know how much time it takes to understand these things. But it, you know, you get it all the time. It's no big deal to you. So He, if God doesn't give His glory to another, Glorify thou me with the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world, before the world existed. Number one, that was when he was in the form of God. But he which was in the form of God in eternity came down into time called sonship and was in the form of a man. Oh, glory to God. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God but took upon himself the form of a servant. So when he says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was, in the form of God, as he was God in glory. But that glory is veiled in flesh. Are you here? In the form of God. Glory. God doesn't give His glory to another. He's God. And in the form of man, sonship in relationship to time, He did not pre-exist as a man before the world existed. Physically and literally. But he did pre-exist in the mind and plan of God. The sonship. The fact that God would come in the form of a man and then die for us on the cross was in his plan before there ever was a world. So that before there was a world created, before he created man and before man fell, God had plan A already in place. He knew man would fall, but he knew what he was going to do. It didn't catch him by surprise. So in his mind, the mind of God, the plan of God, the Logos, the thought of God, I'm coming into time and I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised at sonship. Raised, I'm going to ascend Sonship, 
I'm going to sit on the throne in glorification. That was all in the mind of God before it ever happened in time. So as you study the Old Testament, you'll see the creative word of God or the prophetic word of God, which is as good as the event, so that when God prophesied of even Calvary in Isaiah chapter 53, He speaks of it 700 years before. Are you with me? Jesus ever was born. He speaks of it as already done. You hear? Because in the Word of God, the creative Word of God, in the mind of God, it's already done before it happens in His mind. So when He speaks prophetically with His creative Word, it is the action. It is the event itself. Say amen. And this glorification of the Son as God, but as Son, is that in the mind of God, Amen. It was not only planned that he would die, be buried, but in the plan of God before the world was made, it was already in his mind that he would be sitting on the throne glorified, raised from the dead. So the glory that he had with the Father before there was ever a world was not co-eternal or a separate person in the Godhead. It's in the mind and plan of God that he would come in the form of man, die, be buried, rise again, ascend up and sit on the throne and be glorified on that throne before it ever happened in time in the mind of God. It was already done. So he's saying, whoa, listen to me. That Glorification before there ever was a world. Are y'all here? Watch in the mind of God. Sonship. Also, you're dealing with eternity. Because in eternity, as I said, it was finished in eternity before it ever started. It was finished. Revelation 13, 8. Somebody get it for me. He was slain. Jesus was slain from before the foundation of the world. He was slain before the world ever even existed. Okay, brother, read. Revelation 13, 8. Okay, here we go. Thanks, brother. The Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You're telling me that He died on the cross when God laid the foundation of the world and brought the world into existence in time? That's when Jesus died? Then how could He be slain from the foundation of the world? We know 4,000 years at least of time had come and gone after the foundation of the world before Jesus was born and then died. But the Bible says He was slain from the foundation of the world. How? In the mind of God, it was already finished. And the mind of God includes eternity. In eternity, it's already finished.
Where is God's past thought? When does God's past thought become a future thought? What part of God lives in the past and what part of God lives in the future? You tell me. Does one hand live in the past and one hand live in the future? Does his face live in the present? You tell me. When does his thought ever become past or future? When does his word, when does he ever become a part of past or future? God is eternal. He's not limited to time. He is the I am. So in eternity, not only in his mind, but in eternity, it was already finished before it ever happened in him. So that when he speaks it, even though it hasn't happened in time, it's already done. In eternity. And in his mind. Does that make sense to you? So that before there was a Golgotha, in him he died on Golgotha. Before there was a resurrection on the third day after his death, he was already resurrected. Before Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea was ever born, in God, Jesus had already risen from the dead. Before he ever, before he created Golgotha, in him he died on Golgotha. You can't limit God to time. He is the I am that I am. He is the eternal God. I am, say I am. Not I was, I am. The God that was walking with those disciples on the way to Gethsemane was the God before there was ever a world sitting on the throne. That God walking with them. Walking right there. That God right there before there ever was a world. And before he goes to that cross in eternity in the mind of God it was already done. He had already been there. I don't know if you, I'm talking about really. And now it's been walked out in time, that which was already finished before time as we know it. Beautiful. Only God can do it. Only in God can it be done before He does it. That's why when he spoke about it, through the prophets, he spoke not as some future event, but as something that already happened. The creative word of God, the mind of God. You understand? So he sweeps beyond that present moment into the future. And he says, I have glorified thee in the world. I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. He had already finished it. So when he's praying, O oh now, Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was, before it ever existed. Not a co-eternal son, but in the mind of God and eternity. Jesus was already sitting on the throne glorified. That's why when the prophets got a glimpse of heaven, they saw him sitting on the throne. 
He was already glorified when they saw him. God in human form was already glorified when they saw him hundreds of years before he ever came in time as a man. Because God took them into the future and the eternity where it's already done. Okay. So when he prays this, glorify thou me with the glory that I had with thee before the, the foundation of the world. He's not saying, okay, there was a time when the son literally physically existed. And that son left his father's side and came down here and now he's fulfilling the mission and now it's time for me to, it's, you know, time for him to go back as the physical son. No. It's the mind and plan of God that was finished before the foundation of the world. Does that make sense to you? And it wasn't just his death, and it wasn't just his burial, it was his resurrection, his ascension, and his glorification. It was already finished before it ever started. Now that's not all. Look at verse 24. Father, I will that thou also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Before the world ever existed, he said, you love me. Ah, that's just mind-boggling to me. See, I'm limited to time. You've got watches on your hands, some of you, and they, it, your watch is simply a marking point of time. The only way I'm not limited to time is by prayer. Worship takes me into the spirit. And, and, and in that realm, I'm not limited to time. But as to my flesh, I'm limited to time. Praise the Lord. You understand the verse 5 passage. It's not talking about a co-eternal son that pre-existed with the Father, literally. It can only, he can only pre-exist as God. He can only pre-exist as the Word of God, the plan of God. That's the only way the Son can pre-exist. As God and as the plan or the Word of God. I'm having a good time. And that glory, eternally, in eternity where everything's already done, in the mind of God, he said, he's letting you know. In the mind of God, his glorification was a part of the plan. That he wasn't just going to die and be left in the grave. But as a son, see, in the form of God, he preexisted the world in glory. As the Son, He preexisted the world in the mind of God and in eternity. I'm talking, are y'all with me so far as far as it's finished? But in time, He was born as a Son and walked it out and fulfilled. Give the Lord praise in the house. And I don't have time to read the prophet Ezekiel. The Bible says He has visions of God. First chapter says he has visions of God. And he says he sees one man. 
He sees one throne. He has a vision of God. And that vision of God is in the form of a man. So that when those prophets saw, they looked into eternity where everything's already finished. They saw the kingdom age that hasn't come yet. They saw him reigning on the earth in the kingdom age before it ever, before it's ever been set up. They saw the new heavens and the new earth before there is a new heavens and a new earth. How can they do that? Because God took them into eternity where it's already finished. And then he said, now go down and write down what's already finished. Put it down. It still has to go through time. But as far as God is concerned, it's already done. That's why he could show you things to come before they ever came. Because in him it's already done. Only God can have within him things that are not yet done. Already done. Come on up here, John. I'll show you things which must shortly come to pass. Oh, man, how, how, how. Boom! He takes him right into that future. Are you done? One thing I can do and one thing you can do is you can pray and you can say, God, what I'm supposed to fulfill in time what you determined before there was ever a world for me to do. Lord, let me finish that work. Reveal to me, God, the plan that you had for my life before I was ever born and that life that you finished before I ever came into existence. Reveal that to me so I can do that work. Like I need to do. do you understand that? Then glory, he's praying to be glorified with the glory that he had before the foundation. Do you understand that? As God and his son. Yeah. Hebrews, it's called Hebrews 3, I think, or 4. I feel like I need to share this real quickly. <coughs> mm, I don't know if I should do this. I'll give it a try. I'm going to do it fine. Because I didn't prepare for this part. Three. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thanks, man. You're a lifesaver. Okay, Hebrews 4 3. For we which have believed do enter into his rest, as he said, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished. From the foundation of his works were finished. From the foundation, did you get that? They were finished. They didn't start. They they were finished from the foundation of the world. Okay, so that's why he he's walking through time, and he can sweep into the future time and say, "I have glorified thee in the world." 
And I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And he hadn't been to the cross yet. Because in eternity it's already done. It's already finished. Woo! Glory to God. He's going to go to that cross. He's going to die. He's going to be buried. He's going to, all right, raise me. He's praying that he'd be resurrected from the dead. That he would ascend up and sit on that throne as God. But now God in the flesh on that throne. Do you understand? His spirit in union with the spirit of the eternal spirit of God. The man Christ Jesus in union with the eternal spirit of God. Sitting on that throne, one God glorified. Yes. Verse 6. The next I have. I have manifested thy name. Thy name. I'm, to know the name of God. What is his name, if thou canst tell? That was the question in the Old Testament. What is his name? Can you tell me what his name is? Can you tell me the name of the son? Some say, can you tell me the name of the son? Some say, can you tell me, what is his name? What's the name of the son? If you can tell me. That's what Job, the question in Job, can you tell me his name? Can you tell me the name of the son? What is it? What is it? Tell me. They didn't know it. They didn't know it. And now Jesus, God come in the flesh and sonship, fulfilling that role, that plan that was in God before there was a world. He's walking in time and He's revealing the name of God to mankind. What was His name? What was the name of His Son? Jesus! So that the name Jesus is not limited to the Son. He said, I manifest thy name. Which means he has to be none less than the supreme God of the Old Testament. So that Jesus is not just the name of the Son. It's the name of God. It's the name of the Father. It's the name of the Son. It's the name of the Holy Ghost. Three manifestations of one God. Thy name. Say thy name. He didn't come his own name. Came in the name of God because He is God, the Savior of the world. What is the name of God? Jesus. You say, Well, I prefer Yeshua. Yeshua's fine. Yeshua is the Hebrew. Jesus. Yesu. In the, uh, the Greek, uh, transliterated over into the English, Jesus. Perfectly fine. Nothing wrong with it. You say, but I think we should say it, Yeshua. Because that's the only right way to say the name, they will tell you. When they say Yeshua, they don't have it exactly pronounced correctly either. Because people don't know how to pronounce the ayin of the Hebrew language. Hallelujah. Greek. Yesu. Transliterated in English, Jesus. Which means the same thing as Yahshua, the Lord my Savior. 
Yahashua or Yeshua, the Lord my salvation. The Lord has become my salvation. And he said, I came into this world and I manifested, I have, I have manifested thy name. Jesus means the Lord has become my salvation. Or literally, the Lord Savior. Hallelujah. None less than God. Look at this. I've manifested thy name. Isn't that beautiful? You know the name of God tonight? And not only do you know the name of God tonight, you were water baptized in the name of God tonight. He didn't get his name from his mother. He received it by inheritance. Woo, glory to God. Mary, Mary didn't give him his name. He received it by inheritance, Hebrews says. And so that name was the name of the Father and the Son. Jesus is his name. Oh, I love his name. I know the name of God tonight. Now listen to me carefully. In the Old Testament, they didn't know Him. He was their Savior at times. And Are y'all with me now? Not in this level. They knew Him. The name represents the character and the nature of God. So when He said, I manifest Thy name, He said, I am coming here into this world and He, is, he said, I am God. Because the name Jesus says that He's God. Because the name represents the nature of the man and the character of God. So he's coming here. He's God in flesh, manifesting, revealing the name of God to mankind. And in that name, it declares who he is. He is the supreme God of the Old Testament. His name says it. And in that name, it reveals his character. It's not just the character of his wrath and his judgment and his fury, but it's the revelation of his mercy and his grace and his love. A way that you would have never known God if Jesus had not come to you and showed that side of God to you, that he loves you beyond comprehension. You have no idea how much he loves you. And how much, as we go through this chapter, how much he loved those disciples. The character and the nature is in the name. The highest name ever revealed to man is the name of Jesus. I manifested thy name. Say thy name. Unto the men which thou gavest me out to the world. Subordination only in the sense that God is giving the man, Christ Jesus, the Son. Men, out of the world. Say out of the world. You're in that verse. What? Listen. What God gave the man Christ Jesus was you. And what God gave you was the man Christ Jesus. You're God's gift to the Son. 
You're God's gift. You get it? That was given to him. You are his gift. God gave you to him. And God gave him to you. What an awesome gift. You're in that verse right there. As you don't know it. You're God's gift to Jesus Christ. The only way he could receive from the Father is if he's less than the Father and the only way he can be is if he's a man. And because he goes to the cross and he dies and he's buried and he rises again, I said, I'm going to give the church to you as a gift. The eternal spirit that's in him says, I'm going to give you the church. Then, then when he gets through with his mediatorial work, After he judges at the great white throne judgment, he gets through with his mediatorial work. First Corinthians said he will be seen as God all and all. That doesn't mean his humanity will cease to exist. He will still be the glorified Son of God, but you will not call him Son. He will be recognized as God all and all. And listen, his role as sonship is to deliver the kingdom to the Father. Glory to God. But that role of sonship, when it finishes its purpose, Jesus will be seen as God all in all, delivering up the kingdom to the eternal spirit. Isn't that beautiful? Give the Lord. First Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15. So you are God's gift tonight. Jesus Christ. You wonder how much He loves you? He loves you so much He would come God incarnate and go to that cross. And it was planned before there ever was a world. That's how much He loves us. Manifest thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Are you thankful tonight that you know the name of God? Are you thankful tonight? His name is not Father. His name is not Son. His name is not Holy Ghost. His name is Jesus. That's, the na that's His name. It's the name of God. It's the highest name that's ever been revealed to man. It's the supreme name of the universe. And you're called by that name. And he said in the 16th chapter, you'll be able to pray in that name. And remission of sins will take place in that name. Because I'm going to shed my blood. He said, you gave me, gave them, which thou gavest me out of the world. Say out of the world. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. You think different. You act different. You live different. You talk different. Amen? Out of the world. Say out of the world. You're, we're not trying to be like the world. No, no, no. We're not trying to be like the world. Say praise God. 
He took us out of the world. Either, which is it? Is the church worldly? Or is the world churchy? Big question. You've been taking, listen, you get it? Gave me out of the world, but you're still in the world. But you're not a part of the world. The church shouldn't be acting worldly. And, but we know the world is acting churchy. In the next few days, there's going to be some out there in this howling wilderness. It's acting churchy. You can go. I can let mine go. But I'm still going to tell you the truth about it. The world acting churchy. Hallelujah. <clears throat> the majority of churches today that are meeting 